0: today's scripture is matthew 4 verses 18 through 22 from the common english bible calling of the first disciples as jesus walked alongside the galilee sea he saw two brothers simon who is called peter and andrew throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen come follow me he said and i'll show you how to fish for people Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you for reading the word. Let us pray. O holy and gracious God, Lord, in the stillness of these next few moments, allow us to feel your holy presence, to know your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Lord, we are grateful for your word read. And as I proclaim the words that you have given me this day, help us to listen, to receive them so that we may be transformed. Amen. Good morning. Morning. It is wonderful to be here um, for Pastor Sarah. She and I are colleagues and friends, and I am thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to see you all here in the sanctuary and those of you who are online. So I decided um, that I thought maybe you might want to know a little bit about me. I will actually be preaching for you all twice in April and maybe one more time. I can't remember. So I wanted to share with you a little bit about my story. Everybody has a story, but a lot of people don't know how to tell their story or they're a little hesitant to tell their story. And Gene, he kind of joked with me because I said I had my notes. I have them he says, why do you need your notes on your testimony? I said, because I have so many things to say. And unless you want to be here all afternoon, I had to just kind of chunk it together. Because um, God works in wonderful ways. Now, first of all, I want to tell you that um, I never knew a woman pastor growing up. Um, I did never had one. My parents were not in the ministry. So it wasn't something that I even knew I could do, let alone would do. I didn't grow up thinking, this is what I want to do. I was very involved in my home church. I'm actually a native of Alexandria. I grew up at Cameron United Methodist Church and loved to be in the church. Um, I was in Sunday school. I was in youth group. I was an acolyte with my sister. I loved Bible school. I um, loved to go see the children in the nursery. You name it, if they did it at church, I was there. And one of the things they used to do is have conference-wide youth retreats at Blackstone, which was the Virginia United Methodist Assembly Center, which many of you probably know used to be part of our beautiful um Methodist connection, but is no longer. But anyway, I went there um my I went there every year um, from middle school to um high school, twice a year. They had a fall retreat and a spring retreat. And back then, only like four from every church could go because it just wasn't enough time, enough room. But I always somehow got to go. That was a God thing, I'm pretty sure. Um, And the fall of my senior year in high school, we had a speaker, um, Harry Haynes. He was a missionary to China. He was from New Zealand. And he had written a book called I'm Only One Person, What Can I Do? And something about his story really resonated with me. And and that night, after we had the keynote speaker, uh, we had a time of prayer and listening. And I committed my life to Jesus Christ that night, right there at that assembly center. And so, something in me knew that it was different and that I was going to do some kind of work. I had no idea I was going to end up being a pastor. So... I was very much involved in the church, like I said. And so I wanted to go to a college that was small but intimate. And so I went to Atlantic Christian College in Wilson, North Carolina, not in Winston-Salem. Um, and it was, um, of course, you know, I feel old because it was in the 80s and we had mandatory chapel and we had, if we had a guy come, we had to sign him in and it was just, it's not like that now. But, It also had a, um, what's called a Hands for Christ sign choir. And so I learned how to sign and we toured everywhere through North Carolina, we went to New York and toured through um, to the Church of the Deaf. And that was long before we were all into the signing and accessibility. And so um, I loved that group. And I was just, my roommate was a Christian and uh, my suite mate was a Christian and so I, you know, I just loved being in college. So I was an English major. Because I love to write. I love to read. And I always, I remained, I kept that English major. So first, I thought, I'm going to go into education. I'm going to teach literature. Because I love literature. I love Shakespeare. My mom was a teacher. My sister was a teacher. I thought, that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, luckily... My freshman year, they had an internship at a high school, and they put me in a ninth grade self-contained class where they were working on Romeo and Juliet. Same act, same scene for a month. No, I did not have the patience for education. So that was very clear to me, and I was very glad that happened my freshman year. So then I decided, well, I will with my English major, Why change it, and I will do journalism. I love to write. Interestingly enough, the professor at our school was the editor of the Wilson Daily Times, and he told me, towards the end of my class, um, he said, "Don Murray, you're a great writer." He said, "But I don't think you have the personality to be a reporter." He said, I don't see you like sticking, of course, I've changed. I probably would do it now. I don't see you sticking, you know, the microphone in someone's face and saying, hey, hey, hey. I was like, okay, so that was a clear, very clear cut. I didn't question it, I just accepted it. So then I thought, well, shoot, I'm a sophomore ending my sophomore year. What in the world am I gonna do? So I decided I wanted to go be a lawyer. Okay, so I was pre law, that was cool. I was working, doing all that kind of stuff, and then I realized I had to take LSATs, which I decided I did not want to take LSATs, which is a big, huge test before you get into law school. So by then, I think I was um, probably in the beginning of my senior year. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. I'm getting ready to graduate, and I still have no idea what I'm going to do. I have a, will have a degree, but no job. And so... Um, I decided I would just do something like human resources. And I had been very, very involved in my activities in um, college. I was a student government president, which was an elected position, and I was panhellenic president, which was um, all the sororities, over all the sororities. So I was both of those jobs in my senior year, which had never been done before and would never be done again, the dean said. But my grades went up, and so she's like, okay, you can do this. But I was so involved that somehow I got invited to be in an interviewing conference um, that were all over the United States. People, there were like 70 kids that were invited to this interviewing conference. They flew us to Georgia, and I interviewed. I had never interviewed before at all. I mean, I didn't know a clue what I was going to do, but it was human resources. And so um, they taught us the first day, you know, we had to wear a blue suit, one ring on each hand, no dangle earrings, blue Heels or black suit with black heels, very cut and dry, boom. And I was so nervous, I'd never been on an interview before in my life. And so I I interviewed with Ernest McMillan Publishing. And now Ernest and Gallio and McMillan Publishing. Sorry, I got those mixed up. And Rider Truck was my third interview. Now, I don't remember, I had two more that were um, supposed to be, but I'll tell you what happened, and that's why I don't remember. So the third interview was Ryder Truck. And the lady came in, said there's this huge conference table. I'm on one side, she's on the other, not very intimate. And she asks me, well, Don Marie, what do you see yourself doing in five years? I don't know what I said, something about church. So it was a churchy answer, like mission work or something. And then she said, well, what do you see yourself doing in ten years? And the same thing. It was a church answer. It was like, oh, I want to do be a missionary in Africa or something. And so she took a deep breath, and I was still very, very nervous. And she said to me, well, Don Marie, why do you want to work for rider Truck? I don't want to work for rider Truck. I didn't want to work for rider Truck. And so I just sat there and cried. I mean, you're talking... I mean, I'm in a suit and heels, and I'm crying. Mascara is running down my face, and I'm just crying. So she comes over to me, and she sits by me, and she pats my knee, and she says, "Don Marie, I want to tell you something. I don't know you very well, but I know that you have no business in the business world. God is calling you to something much higher." She said, "You have two more interviews, and you're going to be—they're going to cancel. I'm going to cancel them, and you're going to go sit in the hot tub, and you're just going to relax." okay okay i said i'll do that and that interview switched my entire life transition i was like god's got something for me i still had no idea what it was so i went back to school and knew that in my heart god was gonna take care of it two weeks two weeks before college graduation not very long i had a dream very specific, very visual, and the dream was to apply to divinity school at Duke University. I'd never been to Duke. I didn't know what divinity school was. I was like, okay. So I woke up. My roommate um, was a Christian, as I said, and I said, Nicole, I said I had this crazy dream, and she said, Don, Mary, if you believe it was God speaking, then you better follow through. Okay, so a couple days went by, and I decided I'd call the Divinity School at Duke. So I called, and it's ringing, and the lady in the admissions office picks up, and her name was Dink. And she's like, hello, this is Dink from Duke University's Divinity School. Can I help you? And I said, well, you're going to think this is really strange. But I had a dream to apply to Divinity School. And she says, oh, it's okay. We get it all the time. She said, I'll send you an application. I said, okay so she sent it to me. I applied, did not tell my parents, because how in the world was I going to pay for divinity school at Duke? Because they just paid for four years at a private college in North Carolina. No way. So I didn't say anything. So I went home, and I finally told them that I had applied. And of course, the first thing out of their mouth was, how are you going to pay for this? I said, well, God's going to take care of it. I believe that if it's meant to be, the money will just come. Okay, they said. So I went, um, by now I've graduated from college, and I went to, um, to see Duke's, the campus was beautiful, went to the Divinity School, did my tour, got an apartment, did all that, and was ready to go, or so I thought. Two weeks, I don't know what it is about this, two weeks. Two weeks before I was to attend Duke, my financial aid fell through. I said, how can that be? And then I started to doubt everything. Well, apparently, you have to be a candidate in the ministry to be able to have financial aid. Nobody told me that. It's like, God, you left something out here. So I deferred my acceptance for a year. I thought, well, I'll come next year. In the meantime, I am distraught, thinking, here my friends are graduated, they're living together, they're teaching, they're doing all these wonderful things, and I'm back at home with my parents. I'm like, really, God, this is what you have for me? And so, that summer, I went and stayed at our beach house um, in Myrtle Beach. And I... Um, didn't know what to do. And so the, I was still writing for essays, still writing for scholarships for Duke. Every kind of essay there was, I wrote for it. I needed the money. And so I was at the beach house at the beach. And uh, my mom, the phone rang. This was back when there were landlines. And uh, my phone rang, the phone rang. And I was on the beach. And my mom answered. And she said, um, hello, hello. Right? And um, it was somebody from the Pell Foundation and wanted to know if I had gotten any money yet from, for my seminary education. And she's like, no, but she believes that, that God, if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen, and God's going to take care of it. Okay, so they hung up. I come home from the beach. Mom said, oh, by the way, this phone call happened. I said, oh, that's interesting. I guess they'll call me back. They never call me back, but I got $5,000 every year from them. Because of the faith, it, you know, God always is there. So then, let's see, it's hard. This is why it happens, is all this stuff happens. So then in June, well, in June, at an annual conference that year, I signed. Remember, I signed to the deaf. So I signed the benediction on the stage in Hampton. And so people knew who I was, I guess, because I had signed. Well, meanwhile, before that, a couple of days before that, I was driving through the parking lot, and two ladies were, had their little Virginia United Methodist tags. I knew they were going to annual conference. And I rolled down my window and said, hey, y'all want to ride to the conference center? And they're like, oh, that would be wonderful, sure. So they jumped in. And we became fast friends. And I tell you the story because their names were Lorraine and Ann, and they were from Lincolnia United Methodist Church. So after annual conference was over... My parents owned um, a dietetic health food store in Franconia. And they were frequent people there. And so they, my mom was coming in one Sunday and she was late because church had run late. And so she had the key in the door and she was trying to get the door open. And here's Lorraine and um, Anne. And they're like, mom's like, I'm so sorry, we're late. My preacher ran over. And they're like, oh, what church do you go to? And mom said, Cameron. And they said, oh, you must know that young lady that just signed an annual conference. And my mom's like, that's my daughter. And they're like, no way. And they, I don't know, they had a conversation. And so they got in touch with me and had me come to Lincolnia to sign a service for them. Um, so I did that. And afterwards, I had known these people just through the parking lot and then in church for like an hour. And, you know, the typical thing is for you stand beside the preacher and you shake your hands and, so at the end of the, the receiving line, the pastor says to me, well, I hear that you are deferring your acceptance for a year, and I'm wondering if you'd be interested in working as our student assistant because every year Wesley has a student for us, and this year they didn't have enough. I said, really? So well, what does all that entail? And they're like, well, you know, you can do all kinds of things. You can preach. And I'm like, how are even in to seminary? You're going to trust me to preach? Yep. And so I did. I was accepted. I went to the staff parish meeting that week, and they uh, approved me, and I worked there for that year, and I preached once a month. I did all kinds of great things with the kids and had a blast. And the wonderful thing about Randall, Randall Blankenship was the pastor I worked with. He said, "Don Marie, you can do anything you want. If you fail, you'll learn. It was the best thing I could have done. So that was fabulous. That was in June, July, it was summertime. So then we get to the fall. I told you there was lots of things. God worked. So the, we're in the fall, and my home church, Cameron, had a lay witness mission retreat. Does anybody know about what that is? Uh, we don't do it so much anymore. But it's when lay people, such as yourself, come and give their testimony, and they do breakfast. And so we were hosting one of those, and um, my parents were supposed to uh, host them. You know, everybody has to... Um, Stay somewhere. So we were gonna host a couple. Now remember, I'm graduated from college living with my parents, and my parents are there, and then at like Thursday, they call, the church calls and says, Oh, we don't need you to host the people that were gonna be at your house aren't coming. So my parents go away, they go to our beach house, so it's just me. I'm like, okay. So Friday, about three thirty, the church calls and says, uh, Don Marie. We have this couple that just came and we need them, you need to house them if you can. I'm like, sure, no problem. What time do I need to be at the church? Five, okay. So I took my, um, did the sheets real quick of my parents' bedroom, got everything ready, got a covered dish for the supper, and went to the church. I get out of my car and I'm walking up to our social hall and people are already just like, just buzz about it. And they're like, Tom Marie, you're not gonna, you're not gonna believe who's staying with you know who. So I get down, and it was a retired pastor from um, and his wife from Duke. They had been to Duke. And so we briefly had a little moment to talk during dinner. And then they went and did their thing, and I waited for them at the end. And then we got home, and I had the key in the door again. And Bill says to me, Bill says to me, um, Don Marie, do you have a set of interpreters' Bibles. I was like, no, I just put them on my list for Christmas. I said, they're huge. You know, it's the one one-on-genesis, one-on-exodus. It's this huge thing. And he looked at his wife, and he said, Don Marie, we've been praying for two years for somebody to take our library. He said, are you interested in it? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes, I am so interested in it. And to me, I was like, that is an affirmation, because why else... Would anybody want an interpreter's Bibles unless they were going to be a pastor or go into the ministry? So I took that and ran with it. I was like, okay, this is cool. I like this. And he talked to me about Duke, and just we just had a wonderful weekend. And I was just like, okay, I'm no more doubt. I'm no more doubt. I'm going to do this. So I ended up starting Duke in the fall as I was having a wonderful experience at Lincolnia, And I decided, well, you know what? I'd go one semester at a time if I didn't have the money. And every semester, the money came. I had money from the United Methodist Women. I had money from United Methodist Men. Any scholarships that are essays that, like I said, I wrote for scholarships. And interestingly enough, when I walked in here this morning, I thought, this pulpit looks familiar. Because Arlington Forest gave me a scholarship. And this was Arlington Forest's church. And I preached from this pulpit. And thanked them for the money. And so it's interesting how God kind of works it out. Circles it up. So, three years of school. And I thought, well, if I have to work, I'll work. But you know what? I never had to stop. I never had to work. Because every time I needed the money, the money came. I graduated from Duke Divinity School debt-free. Straight scholarship. And that was only only because of God. There's no way I could have done that on my own. And one of the things I always try, you know, they tell you in the ministry, I've been in your ministry for 30 years, and when you're burned out, they say, remember your call. These are the things that I love to remember, especially this little ditty. This is the last thing I want to share with you. When you think God won't provide, he will. You've just got to trust him. So my senior year, we were doing the exams, and I was stressed out. I was very budget conscious because it wasn't my money. Somebody else was paying for me to be at school. So my senior year, my friend said, "Don Marie, let's go out to dinner during exam time. Let's just take a chill. Let's go to a movie. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I, I don't have the money for that. Don Marie, it's one time. Just come. It'll do you some good. Okay. Okay, so I went. And back then, it was cheap to go to a movie. Cheap relative, right? So I spent, we went to dinner and a movie, and it was like $20.38, some odd cents. I came home that night, and I was like, I can't believe I spent all that money, blah, blah, blah. And so the next day, kid you not, I got a little envelope in the mail from one of my field education, United Methodist Women's Groups, and it opened it up, and it said, hey, Dominique, just thinking about you, this is not a whole lot, but... I wanted to let you know we we're thinking of you. And it was the exact amount that I had just spent. The exact amount. And I mean, are you talking about tears? I was crying. I was like, God, you are so good. But but so often, like I said, I've been in the ministry for 30 years, so often I forget that. And that's why I was telling the children, you know, don't forget that we are unique because God made us special. God has plans for us. God has a plan for you. You may not even know it, but you just have to listen. So never, ever think that God's not going to provide for you, because I could stand here all day and tell you little instances in which he does, because our God is good all the time. Amen. Amen.